We uh, are beginning this Advent season with uh, the passage in Luke chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there or we have it on the screen uh, to help you through this. We're going to be studying for the next three or four weeks uh, the different stories of the coming of Christ. And really what I want us to do is to continue the series we've been doing on transformation and ask ourselves, how does a transformed person actually engage Christmas? In other words, uh, if I have everything I need for life and godliness, how do I approach Christmas? Do I approach Christmas as someone who is full, or do I approach Christmas as someone who is empty? And uh, so some of the things I say today may be a paradox to you. Oh, there's a teaser. Um, or they may not, but I want you to hang in there with me, and let's uh, see what the Lord would have for us. So this is Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. So what we have here, and many of you are familiar with this story, is that Mary was engaged to Joseph. Now, Really what that believes, it, it, they didn't date. They didn't have a situation where Joseph took her to the high school prom and then gave her a promise ring. And, you know, they didn't kiss until after she got the promise ring. This is two people that their marriage was arranged by their families and they've been pledged to each other for a long time. It may even be the case that they've never even talked to one another privately one-on-one. That the only time they've ever seen each other is at joint parties between the family or in the village. But they've been pledged to each other for a long time. Now, when someone was pledged, uh, it was also expected that that pledge was very similar to marriage, meaning that there's a fidelity to this pledge, meaning that it would be almost like adultery if she'd go outside of this pledge and have a relationship with another man. So she was pledged to this man, but she was also a virgin. She was faithful to this man, who was Joseph. And it's no small thing that he was a descendant of David. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but here's a little clue about uh, that there is a drumbeat that is beating throughout history, and that drumbeat is drumbeating something that's very significant about this story. This is one of those drumbeats. So the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greeting, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Okay, now let's just acknowledge that, uh, that some of the stories that we read in Scripture, we treat them as if they're no big surprise because we're in church and we expect those kind of things like Noah's Ark and that kind of stuff, you know, and Jonah and being swallowed by fish. And, you know, these are things that, that we engage in, but sometimes they're hard. This is a girl who is visited by an angel. <clears throat> now, maybe you've had that experience, and this is not unfamiliar to you. Uh, I've never had that experience, much less the angels that I've been visited by never said, greeting, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Uh, but Mary was greatly troubled at this. Now, modern interpretation, she was freaking out, all right? And she was freaking out because, okay, it's an angel, okay? You with me? And I don't know what the angel looked like. I'm sure he looked a lot like me. But that's why she was so troubled. Boom. Come on, just, all right. And, and his words, she was troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting nice this might be. You know, you get the sense that as he's greeting her 
it's much like a used car salesman coming up to you and go, bro, I bet you kill the ladies. You're like, right, I know what you're trying to say. All right, so, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Quit freaking out, Mary. Settle down. I know you're troubled. You don't see angels every day, much less those that speak to you and say that you're favored by the Lord. Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Underline that in your Bible. That is huge. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are going to be huge. And you're going to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. History. Hear the beat. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Hear the beat. Who was Joseph descended of? David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. Jacob, hear the beat, forever. And his kingdom will never end. Mary, being a very practical woman, asked the question, how will this happen? And Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, oh, no problem. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. She says, oh, great, this happens all the time. I mean, seriously, okay, now I'm a virgin. You're saying I'm going to give birth to a child, and this child is going to be king of kings, lord of lords. He's going to be God most high. God became flesh. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child. She's very old. Well, that's what it says. In her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Don't go to the next verse yet. Hang on. Listen to what the angel is saying. Mary, these are the things that you need to know. You're going to get pregnant. And you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He's going to overshadow you. Well, what does that mean? There's mystery there. We don't know. I can't tell you what that means. But it says that this mystery gets even greater because Elizabeth, who's an old woman, is going to get pregnant with you. She's actually six months ahead of you. For nothing is impossible with God. You should underline that too. Favor and impossible. Next verse. This is how Mary responds. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Okay, I just have a few things that I want to say before we come to this table. I... Uh, and you're going to have to lean in and help. This has been one of those mornings where our whole crew kind of feels like we're running through mud this morning, you know, and really feel that there's an adversary that's really working against us today and what we're trying to do in leading you guys in worship and coming to this table. And so I really want to encourage you, whatever you can do to say, okay, Lord, like Mary, I'm listening. Lead me. Because here's what we really believe, uh, because Scripture teaches this, you don't need an experience with me this morning. Matter of fact, I believe that truth about God that changes our lives because the truth shall set us free is what Scripture says. Truth is not something that you discover because I've been clever and I've given you a funny little illustration or somehow or another I've illuminated a part of Scripture that you've never seen before. All right? We believe that if God is real, that if this is not a fairy tale, if that's a reality, then the Holy Spirit is here to do something, and that's to bring revelation to you that will change your life. So you have to choose right now, do I listen to Randy or do I listen to the Holy Spirit? Now, here's part of the mystery. The Holy Spirit speaks through people like me. We're going to talk about how crazy that is in just a second. But you have to choose who you're looking at. 
So let me try to explain a little bit about what's going on in this story here. Because this wasn't an isolated incident. This was a story Gabriel coming and pronouncing. He was on a mission. It says he was sent by God. He was on a mission because Gabriel serves a missional God. Our God has been on a mission before even the creation of the world. Let me try to explain. Because when you go to Genesis, you begin to realize that there's a conversation taking place at Genesis. Because God said, let us make God, let us make man in our own image. He's talking about a plural sense. So even before the world was created, there was the Trinity. Who makes up the Trinity? The Father, the Holy Spirit, and the, the Son. The Son. Who is the Son? Jesus. Jesus preexisted before he ever came as a child in Mary. Why was Jesus pre-existing? Why did the Trinity make up the three most essential things that we need as believers? Because is it possible that God, before He ever created the world, had put into motion a plan of redemption, meaning that Jesus wasn't plan B. Oh, no, man screwed it up. We better figure out a way to save him. Or is it that Jesus was plan A from the beginning? That God, the mission throughout history, has been that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, it gives us a little picture of behind-the-scenes clue that that's exactly what's taking place. God is talking to the serpent who had deceived Adam and Eve and said, Cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Okay, wait a minute. Why does he say, I'll put enmity between you and the woman? He goes on to say, and between your offspring and hers. He, who is he? Now he's talking about the offspring of the woman. He will crush your head. What is God saying? Satan, prepare. Evil one, you may rule in this kingdom, but there is coming one that would be born of the womb of a woman that will crush your head. He's coming. You hear it? So we find out that when man left the Garden of Eden, in Romans, we get a little bit of picture of what happened when Adam and Eve got clothed in those animal skins and got the left foot, left foot of fellowship from God and got bumped out into the real world, that they got cast out into darkness. Matter of fact, the Bible says that now not just Adam, but all of mankind went with them. It wasn't like Adam and Eve went out there and we got to stay back in the garden. No, we went with mom and dad, all right? And they're ultimately all of our moms and dads. Therefore, it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, me and Adam, that Adam sinned when he took a bite of that fruit, when he decided that God's rhythm is not my rhythm, when he said, I'm not going to embrace the limits that God has given me. I'm going to expand my limits to the limitlessness of my own desires. And he sinned that when one man sinned, all the world with him sinned, and death came into the world through that one sin. And through this one death 
came death to all men because all have sinned. What does that mean? It means simply this, that if Adam would not have eaten of that tree, guess what? One day Daniel would be born, and I'm pretty certain he would have eaten of that tree. You know, or maybe Michael, or Jenny, you know? Uh, Jenny wouldn't. She wouldn't, honestly, she wouldn't. But me, I would, you know? That what we Adam represented all of us. And what this scripture is talking about, when Adam fell, all of mankind fell with him. And we're all born now, not as people that are going to sin. We are born as sinners. What does that mean? Maybe you've heard that before. It means you were born under the curse of sin. You've been born into this world that now has been cursed. It's under the cloud of sin. It's outside the presence of God. It's not in the Garden of Eden anymore. We're now in this cursed, broken world. And as those that have been born into a cursed, broken world, our native language is cursed and broken. That's who we are now. We're the people of the curse. See, that's why when we talk about sin here at Midtown, we do talk about sin that we need to face, but we realize that we need to be rescued from more than just my bad choices. I mean, you need to be rescued from more than just what you did last Friday night or what you're planning on doing next Friday night, all right? You need to be rescued from more than that because if that's all Jesus came to do is to kind of make you feel better and not guilty and you just feel better about your life and make it just a little bit better, then Jesus is no more than just a guru or a good hand lotion that makes me feel all good, you know? But Jesus was more than that. Jesus says, I'm bringing you from death to life. I'm bringing you from one kingdom to another kingdom. I'm bringing you from orphans to being sons and daughters. Why was he using that kind of a language? In Galatians chapter 3, it says, because we had to be redeemed from a curse. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone or everyone who hangs on a tree. Let me try to explain this. When Jesus went to the cross, and we've talked about this a lot here, is that he became sin. The only righteous and holy one who has never failed in any way to satisfy the requirements of God, in every way holy and pure, without blemish, that one became all our sin, so that I could become his righteousness. In other words, there's an exchange that's taken place. And in that exchange, I give him my wretchedness and my need. He gives me his righteousness and his holiness. Okay. That was beautiful. It's the trumpet section for our children's ministries. Why would God do that? Not that. This. I mean, seriously, family, why not just do it in the garden? I mean, come on. Why did God put the tree there? You know, why not put a sign up at the garden that says, no snakes allowed? You know, why? Why did God, why is this, this beating through history, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus Where was he in the garden? I mean, why didn't Jesus show up, you know, and be like, you know, the snake wrangler? You know, put him in a bag, stay away, Adam and Eve, and protect him. I mean, seriously, why? Why all this cursedness? Why all this fallenness? Why all the wretched things that have happened in this world since the creation of the world to now? And we can all list dark things that we know have happened in this world over the last thousands of years. And that doesn't even involve the darkness of my own heart. Why? 
Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they were perfect. Matter of fact, the Bible says they walked through the gardens with God. They had perfect fellowship with God. Matter of fact, there was nothing between them and God. They were without blemish, right? But God knew something about this creature that he had created. That man would never be able to sustain that. In other words, he had a righteousness, but that righteousness was what we call mutable. Meaning it could mute, it could change, it could change to unrighteousness. And if man had the, had the ability to change his righteousness to unrighteousness, then our fellowship with God was limited only to the extent that I was willing to maintain that unmutable part of my righteousness. And God knew I couldn't do it. He knew Adam couldn't do it. He knew you couldn't do it. So you know the Bible where it says uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? That's not just a cool thing to say to you. Hey, look how consistent Jesus is. You should be consistent. That's not what that's saying. It's saying that when Jesus gave me his righteousness, his righteousness is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Meaning that now for all of eternity, when his righteousness is on me and I'm in relationship with the Father because of that righteousness, that righteousness will never change. So when I stand before the Father based on the work of Jesus Christ, He accepts me now, today, tomorrow, and all of eternity. So now my fellowship with God can be unhindered forever, ever and ever. Jesus had to come. Because only Jesus' righteousness was powerful enough to sustain the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. That's why it says in Isaiah... Therefore, and this is more of you hear this coming through history, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, listen to what was written by the prophet Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. I'm not kidding you. That's in there. Hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. In the Old Testament, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and his name will be Emmanuel. You hear it. God is just telling his people he's coming. He's coming. Isaiah does it again in verse uh, chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So let's get back to the story with Mary. And let me just point out a couple things that maybe will help us as we come to this table. Some of you could point out a lot more things. But the first thing I want to say is we have a God who loves to show off. I mean, he really does. I mean, it's almost to the point of, you got to be kidding me. Really? Because when we look at Nazareth, I mean, has anybody here been to Nazareth? So basically, I could say anything about it, and y'all accept it as true. They have a giant Ferris wheel in Nazareth, you know? And it's been there for 12,000 years. And it looks like Jesus. Do you know that we, we don't know a lot from history, like pre-Christian history? Actually, Nazareth is a pretty famous place. Now, almost everybody's heard of it because of the story of Christ, you know, the manger. Um, but pre-Christ... There's not much about it. 
Matter of fact, there's nothing in the Old Testament about it. And if you look through archaeological studies, uh, there's only one reference to it. Back in the 60s, there was a team that actually found a reference, the only reference to Nazareth, as this small, little shoddy little town that was full of corrupt people. I mean, the reference is running Nazareth into the ground. It's a town between two port cities. It's just some place that people pass through and stay on their way, a place to avoid. Even in the New Testament, one of the disciples, when he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, you know what he said? you got to be kidding me, really? That's what he said. He said it in Greek, but he said it, and then he said this, can anything good come from there? Is there, a, is there a town near your hometown that everybody from that town are losers? Yeah? Oh, you're from there. You know what I'm talking about? You know, everybody there is related. They all date their cousins. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right? Every state has its rednecks. It's not just the South. All right? Well, this was one of those kind of places. It was nowhere. Why? I mean, let me ask you a serious question. Why would God, if he's been beating this drum since before creation, why would he say, let's go to Nowhereville? Let's go to the place where there's more corruption than good folks. Let's go to this place that nobody's ever heard of. Oh, yeah, that's the perfect place to bring the Son of God. Okay, well, if you're not convinced, let's talk about Mary for a minute. I mean, sure, she's a superstar now, but... Before she became famous, she was just a young girl in a nowhere town. Most historians believe that she was illiterate, completely uneducated, couldn't read. Listen to this. Most believe that she was between 12 and 14 years of age. In that society... Uh, there wasn't anyone that was more powerless than a young woman, right? She had no voice. She had no power. She had no influence. She had no life experience. She was just a little girl. So let me get this straight. The God of the universe has been beating this drum since before creation turns to his angels and goes, wait, hey, 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 guys, settle down. I've got, got a great plan. We're going to go to Nazareth. Where? Nazareth, trust me. How many people live there? Like four, all right? And then we're going to trust a 12-year-old girl with the Son of God. We don't even let 12-year-old people drive cars. Seriously, right? I mean, what is God thinking? What is he up to? Guys, uh, all I can say is let's step back and realize our God loves to show off. He loves to step into impossible situations, and he loves to flex his muscles. He really does. As a matter of fact, he sets up impossible situations so that he can flex his muscles. Go to Gideon in the Old Testament. Here's a guy whose country was under attack. What was he doing? He was hiding in a wine press so he could make enough wheat to make a loaf of bread. And an angel comes to him. Another angel, those guys are everywhere, you know? Another angel comes and goes, Gideon, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior, are you kidding me? I'm hiding. I'm scared to death. I'm afraid somebody's going to come and slit my throat right now as I'm speaking to you. Who are you? 
And yet the angel goes, oh, yeah, this is another one of those impossible situations. Watch God show off. So Gideon finally accepts, okay, I'm a mighty warrior. Had to do with a bunch of sheepskin and stuff that. And then they gather a huge army. And God comes to him and says, Gideon, you got too many men. He goes, wait a minute, God, we're already outnumbered. And God says, yeah, I know. you got too many. So he starts taking him through this elaborate journey of whittling down his men to where he was only Gideon and his 300 men. Why? Exactly. Because God was saying, nothing will rob me from the right to show off. In other words, I'm going to show my glory. Remember what he said to uh, Mary? Favored, full of grace. Actually, the little tra- literal translation is, Mary, you are pursued by grace. Because God's getting ready to show off. What does that have to do with us today? I, let me just put it into context of our lives. What would it look like for God to show off in your life right now? I mean, what are the things that you look at and you go, that mountain, I'm not sure I can climb it. What are the things that you look in your own heart and you go, oh, or in your own life, and you just realize, man, I've quit believing that God can show up there. Like doubts, like fears, like insecurities, like worries. Do you realize that Paul, the apostle, took it one step further and he said, I boast in my weaknesses. I boast. He's saying, I'm bragging about where I need God to show up. Why? Because in my weakness, God is, does anybody know? Strong. Is that for real? Do you think that that's more difficult to believe than it was for Mary to believe an angel that said you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit? I would say that they're both equally as difficult to step into and say, okay. But here's the beautiful thing, and this is going to be a flip-flop. Guys, as we come to see, you've been taught all your life in this cursed world that don't ever get to a place where you need that much. Matter of fact, you've been taught in this cursed world that all the things that are weaknesses for you, you better figure out how to make them strengths. In other words, we start asking questions like this. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Why do we ask that question so much? Because we really believe that if I can figure out what's wrong, I can fix it. And why, do we, why are we so desperate to fix it? Because we're tired of it being wrong. Because we hate being in a place where I have something that's got to get fixed. Well, let me tell you, a couple things are going to happen. Either you're going to become an expert fixer, and you're going to get your life so fixed that you don't need to be fixed anymore. And the only way you can really do that is be so delusional about your own life that you don't have anything in your life that needs to be fixed anymore, which is going to be a very lonely existence. Or you're going to come to the realization that there are things in my life that are broke that I can't fix. I can't fix it. And you're either going to choose to despise it because you despise weakness, or you're going to choose to boast in it because the Lord is with you and you are favored. And you look at that and you go, (laughs) Lord, I don't know why you gave me this intellect, because I sure would like to be a genius, all right? But I'm going to boast in the limitations of my intellect, because for some reason in your kingdom, that's how you want to make me, and that's how you want to use me. Lord, I don't know why you've given me a job that pays me hardly nothing. 
Because if I was you, then I would give me a big job with no responsibility and lots of money. All right? But I'm going to boast in that way. God, I don't know why you made me single. Because I sure would like to be in a relationship with somebody who worships every step that I take and makes me happy. And I don't have any more problems anymore because they're carrying them for me. If I was you, that's what I would give me. All right? But I'm going to celebrate that you've made me single. And that it's hard sometimes. And that maybe you've called me to be single. And it's hard to swallow that calling sometimes. And that's hard for me. And I feel weak there. But I'm going to boast in that weakness. Because you love to show off. And you've not left me. And you have not abandoned me. And I am favored by you. Paul put it this way. God chose the foolish things of the world to to shame the wise. Boy, there's an encouraging verse, isn't it? Whew. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world to despise and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Why? Why, Gideon, you only need 300? So that when God moves, everybody will see that it's God who moved. Why do you have your weaknesses? So when God moves, everybody will see that it's God that's moving in you and through you. Hmm. You realize that uh, Mary had an epiphany in front of that angel. You know what it was? This is profound now. All right, hang on. Mary, you've been chosen by God. Oh, that was her epiphany. (laughs) Oh, I've I've been chosen. That's why an angel's here in Nazareth. Okay, I've been chosen. Have you come to realize that about you? We laugh at it. Of course, Mary, you've been chosen. You're Mary. Don't you know that you're Mary? She was Mary before being Mary was Mary, all right? Do you realize it? Because let me tell you something. Learning to thank God for the things that you hate in you is the first step in realizing that you're chosen. Learning to say to God, thank you for my weaknesses. That's the first step in realizing you're favored. And here's what it does. It moves wonder in us. Now, let me ask, because whenever I experience that kind of reality, okay, God, you favored me. You love me. You're pouring grace is pursuing me. You called my name. I'm standing here before you, okay? It makes us ask this question, how? How are you going to take the things that are weakest in me and make them things for your glory? How are you going to take what's broken and how are you going to get glory from that? How are you going to let me boast in the things that I'm not so that you can show the things that you are? How are you going to do that? Because it seems impossible to me, yet the passage Gabriel had to say to Mary, what's impossible for you is not impossible for God. Do you realize that? I just want to... Does that... I don't even know how to say what I'm about to say. But if God looked at you and started laughing and, and you said, 
how are you going to do that? And God just laughs and says, oh, it's possible for me. Does that create any wonder in you? When you go to a place like a magic show, and a guy tells you what he's about to do, and you go, oh, but that's impossible. You know? Do you walk out of the room going, it's impossible. Cut a woman in half. Ridiculous. Let's go get a bagel. You know? <laughs> no, I mean, you're glued. You're like, okay, let's see you do it. And let me see if I can figure out how you did it. Because we immediately want to take the wonder and the mystery out of what we know is impossible. We do, don't we? Have you ever seen the show, The Magician's Secret Show, where the guy with the black mask and, you know, on the threat of death, he's exposing to us on national television the secrets of the magician, you know? And he says stuff like, you know where they cut the woman in half? They don't really cut her in half. And you're like, oh, really? Whoa. Re- oh. I want to encourage you that the first step we take when we come to this table and realize God loves to show off is don't forget to let the wonder captivate you. Let it. This is profound. Hey, it is a mystery how God moves in and does the impossible. And he wants to stir that in us. Listen, you know, I was reading this week about Teddy Roosevelt, who was a huge naturalist, you know, and he loved the outdoors, and he loved to preserve the outdoors for our country. And he worked a lot with a naturalist by the name of William Beebe, and they would travel together, and they would camp together and, and survey lands that they were trying to save for national parks and stuff. And they had this ritual that at night, before they would go to bed, they would come outside, out of their tents, and they would look up in the sky. And one of them would recite this. That is the, well, they would look to the, uh, to the corner of Pegasus, and there would be a dim light on the corner of Pegasus, and they would both look at it, and one of them would say this. That is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It's as large as our Milky Way. It's one of 100 million galaxies. It is even 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our own sun. And then Roosevelt, in his tradition, would turn to BB and go, now I think we feel small enough, let's go to bed. You hear what they're doing? We get so caught up in our little world that we lose the wonder. We lose the beautiful mystery that there's more in this world that we can't, cannot grasp than what we will grasp. You don't think that's true about your own heart? You don't think that's true about the person sitting next to you? Do you don't think that you're going to go through life and you're going to have a thousand how questions that don't get answered? Do you not think that you're going to go through life and have why questions that are not answered? And yet you hear this, the Lord says, come into the beautiful wonder of the mystery of what I'm doing. There's a story where Jesus, in all the Gospels, it shares the story of him going into the temple and running out the money changers. You remember this where he makes a whip and they're selling stuff in the temple of God and he runs them out and he says, my house will be a house of prayer. It's only in Matthew that we get what happens next that Jesus actually sits down and begins to invite the blind and the lame to him. That he's run the money changers out. Now these blind people are come that have been blind maybe their whole lives or lame people are being carried to them and he begins to heal them. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a healing. 
If you've ever literally seen someone who's been in a wheelchair that you've loved all your life and wished that they could walk and now they're walking, I don't know what that would be like. I would guess that would be pretty wonderful. What wonder is this? Guess what happened? People are getting healed right and left. This is miraculous. And the kids, this is in Matthew 21, the kids start seeing this, and they're great because kids just love being filled with wonder, you know? Matter of fact, I don't think you should ever let a kid open a Christmas present on Christmas morning because it immediately takes away the mystery and the wonder. It should be stayed wrapped and keep kids in wonder all year long. Okay, maybe that's abusive. Let's. <laughs> mm. I'm not going to. All right. These kids are running around the temple, and they're shouting praises to Jesus. They're like, he is the son of David. You hear it? We've been waiting for him. He's here. And they can't contain themselves like kids can't when they're excited. And they're running around. But there's another group of people that are there at the temple, too. They're the leaders of the temple. They're the religious people. They're the people that have gone to church their whole lives. And they're looking at it like we do a magician. And they're going, that can't be real. This can't be real. They're the cynics. And listen to what happens to them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and they started hearing the children as they're shouting the praises of Jesus, they were indignant. When faced with the question how or faced with the question why, I either become indignant, God, how can you say that you're God when I'm facing this? Or I become wonderful because I hear the promises of God going, what's impossible for you is possible for me. Are you indignant? Or are you filled with wonder? Which are you during this Christmas season? Mary was filled with wonder. She was filled with fear. Why was she afraid? Twelve-year-old pregnant women didn't fare very well in her community, especially when they didn't have a husband. But because of her wonder, you know what she said? I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Are you saying that? And all the weakness where God wants to show off. And yet he's waiting. Are you saying, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That's really all I have to say about that. Maybe the Holy Spirit's using some of that to stir you. Let me tell you a little bit about this table that we're coming to. Because on the night that Christ was betrayed, he took this cup and he took a bread and he said, this is my blood spilt for the remission of sins and this is my body broken for you. In other words, he was saying, I want you to always have this celebration to remember the exchange that took place on the cross. My blood, my righteousness given to you for your unrighteousness. And when Jesus did that, he said two things. He said, I want you to remember this. Do this in remembrance of me. Why? One of the things we do when we come to this kneeler is 
we confess to the Lord all the things that we've believed that are not of him. Do you know that every time I sin, it's because I believe something is better for me than Jesus? It really is true. I, I really believe the false promises of sin that lures me in and says, no, believe in this. And I want to encourage you that one of the things we do in remembering is we come up here and we repent. We lay down those sins and we remember afresh that we are forgiven people. That what was impossible for us was possible for God. He took away our guilt and our shame. The second thing we do up here is we proclaim. I love this part. Because I proclaim first here. I don't know about you. I'm haunted by ghosts. Are you? Are there things in your life that you need to shout at and say, you will not reign over me? I don't know how the Lord is going to deal with you, but what's impossible for me, it is not impossible for him. And I declare over you, I am favored. I am proclaiming over you my struggles, my weaknesses, my sins, the things that have beat me down. I'm declaring over you this table is true. I am not forgotten. I am favored. And because I'm favored, he will never leave me and he will never abandon me. And I don't know how he's going to get the glory over you, but I'm going to rejoice that I've got you so that I can see God. And then we proclaim out there. This, uh, this morning we have something that's a little different. Hang with me here. I'll try to explain been the desire of some of our leadership that we engage each other on a much deeper level. Deeper level. Uh, some of you have these on your chair. Um, we're introducing what we call the prayer wall. And the prayer wall is a place where, by faith, we write on these cards anonymously the deepest things that you're praying that God will come and answer the ways that you need him to step into those impossible situations, the place where you need him to show up and say, yeah, what's impossible for you? It's not impossible for me. And we're asking you even this morning to start this prayer wall by, if you have some of those prayers, that you would write this on one of these cards, and when you come up to take communion, it's going to be right here, that you put it on there before you go to your kneeler. Starting next week, that prayer wall will be up every week. And we want to become a community that gives a prayer and takes a prayer. We'll talk more about this next week, about what would it mean for you to take one of the prayers off that wall and say, Lord, I'm going to pray for this person. I don't know who they are, but I am going to fight for them because you give me the privilege to do it. So we're starting this Sunday by doing this. There's also prayers on the table up here, Advent prayers. If you would like to have something that guides you through this season of knowing how to pray and celebrate this Advent season, feel free to take one of those. So let me pray for us, and then I'd like to talk about this table just for a second. Lord, thank you for Mary, this young girl who had no idea what she was getting herself into. <laughs> but that's just the way of it, isn't, isn't it, Lord? You always get us in over our head. You always get us into situations where we're outnumbered. You always get us into places where we don't know what to do. Because you love to show off. Lord, I pray this morning uh, you'd come and show off some. Meet us at this table.
fill our hearts. Lord, help us to put down those things that have so easily trapped us and entangled us. And help us become bold proclaimers. Amen.